Well, good morning, TBA. How are you all this morning? Good. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. If you're a mom, would you please stand up so that we can recognize you and thank you for all that you do. Let's give moms a round of applause. Thank you. You guys can sit down. Moms don't always get credit for all that they do. The multitude of sacrifices they make day in and day out. But Salary.com tried to figure out how much is a mom worth if they actually got paid. And so what they did was they surveyed 15,000 moms to find out what their top 10 most time-consuming jobs were and how much time per week they spent on those jobs. And then they applied their salary data to each job, factored in the number of hours they worked, including overtime, crunched all the numbers and determined an estimate of what mothers would make if they were actually paid an annual salary. And here's what it is. If you are a a stay-at-home mom, your total salary would be $143,000. If you're a working mom, your salary is $90,000 plus the salary that you get from your job. So moms are worth a whole lot more than we give them credit for. And although they're not paid for all that they do, I'm sure that a hug or a kiss or some kind words in lieu of compensation would do just fine for them. So husbands, sons, daughters, make sure that you pay your mom for all her hard work, especially today as you honor her. But don't do it just today. Do it every day. Make a point to honor your mother every day of your life. See, moms are the foundation and the backbone of the family. By far, the greatest contribution that a mom makes often goes on behind the scenes. It's the countless hours spent on their knees in prayer, interceding on behalf of their children. It's the direction and guidance given to their children, leading them into God's ways. It's their commitment to educating their children about who God is and what God's about. It's the the example that they live in front of their kids, showing an intense dedication and commitment to God and His Word. And that has such a huge impact, not just on the kids, but on God's kingdom as well. See, the godly influence of a mother cannot be underestimated, nor can you put a price tag on it. It's interesting to me, when you look all throughout the Bible, especially when it comes to the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the role that mothers play in the outcome of the Jewish nation. See, they frequently allude to the mothers of Israel uh, and Judah's kings. And generally, when a king does something that's evil in the sight of the Lord, it was the queen's mother's influence that led him down that path. And conversely, mothers who dedicated themselves to the commandments of God produced good kings who followed in their mother's footsteps. David says this in Psalm 116. He says, Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. See, David was a God-fearing king, and one of the greatest kings of Israel, due large and in part to the godly influence of his mother. So mothers, I would say this to you today. Continue to fight. Fight. Fight to keep God's word central in your home. Work hard to instill God's words in the hearts of your children because it is the Word of God that brings us life, direction, and purpose. See, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about God's Word and its essential place in our lives and our faith. We've talked about how God's Word is our source 
of nourishment. It feeds our soul. But how we need to dig deep into God's Word to grow as a disciple of Christ. We can no longer just subsist on milk anymore. If we expect true transformation in our lives, then we have to start eating adult food. We have to start eating meat, if you will, in order to grow into the people that God's called us to be. Last week we talked about how God's Word is light. It gives us direction and without it we're lost. And not only is it light, but it is the true light in our lives. And often we're filling ourselves with other things that cause darkness. And the only way for us to have that true light, that light that reflects to others around us, is to be deep, dig deep into God's Word. And so today we're going to continue talking about God's Word, and we're going to talk about how God's Word is a fire. See, the Bible is a miracle. It was written over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors in 66 books. Yet there remains a thread and congruency that is unparalleled in any other book. It's been proven to be true through the fulfillment of prophecy. Prophecy so detailed that the chance of it happening by chance is astronomical. And it can only be attributed to God. It is the written Word of God. Did you know in the time of Jesus, God's Word was central to all life? All life revolved around the Word of God. People would go daily to the synagogue to listen to the rabbi read the words God gave Moses. And they would bring out a scroll. And the scroll was at the synagogue because people couldn't afford to have their own scrolls at home. So the only place they could get God's Word was at the synagogue. And they would bring out this scroll and people would begin to get really excited because they were getting ready to hear God's Word. They would actually reach up and touch the scroll and then touch to their lips and say, may his words be sweet. We love your word, Lord. They had an immense respect and reverence for the word of God. How did we get so far away from that? How did we get so far away from that? Well, let's begin to unpack that as we look at our key verse today. And it's in the book of Jeremiah. It's in chapter 23, and it's going to start in verse 25. Now before we read that, I need to set up the context of the passage for you. So this is a time in Israel's history where they're literally moments away from being conquered by the Babylonians. They're moments away from being conquered. And they're going to be ripped from their beloved promised land. And they're going to live a life as slaves in captivity to the Babylonians. And what had happened was Israel had walked away from God's word. They walked away from his decrees and laws they allowed foreign religions and ideas to infiltrate their culture and their lives. And they began to worship the false gods of Baal and Asherah. They allowed false teaching to lead them astray. They were living a life that was about fulfilling their own desires. From the pursuit of greed and power to fulfilling every sexual desire. They forgot their duties to the poor, the widows, and they refused to do what was right and just. And God spoke of their sin and impending judgment earlier through the prophet Isaiah. And there's this particular verse in Isaiah that I want you to see because it's going to help set up the point I'm trying to make today. It's in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 8. And it says this, For Jerusalem will stumble and Judah will fall because they speak out against the Lord and they refuse to obey Him. They provoke Him to His face. The very look on their faces gives them away. They, dip, they display their sin like the people of Sodom, and they don't, they don't even try to hide it. They are doomed. They have brought destruction 
upon themselves. See, their sin was openly displayed, and they had no sense of shame. The cultural dynamic in Isaiah's day was probably very similar to our day and our time. In the name of tolerance and political correctness and the let's not be hypocrites, all kinds of sin were approved and accepted as normal. And no one was allowed to proclaim a standard. No one was allowed to say this is what is right for fear of offending somebody's personally held beliefs. That's where they were. That's kind of where we are. So hold on to that. And let's move up a few years later. And here is Jeremiah telling the Jews that the judgment God said would come is on their doorstep. Again, remember, they're still living in open, blatant sin. And what you had in Jeremiah's time, you had these false prophets. They kept preaching this false theology of complete acceptance of their behavior. They kept assuring those that were in rebellion against God that the Lord said, you're going to have peace. And the person whose life followed a path of stubborn disobedience was assured by spiritual leaders that calamity would not come upon you. So Jeremiah addresses those false spiritual leaders in verse 25. He says this, I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is not my... Is not my word like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? See, God's word is like grain, and the words of men are like straw. Their dreams were worthless for meeting spiritual needs as straw is for meeting physical hunger. God's word is grain because the soul is nourished by it. Without it, they were starving themselves by eating empty straw. But see, God's word is also fire and a hammer that will consume and destroy. So you have these opposite effects of God's Word. For those who reverently embrace the Word of God, they will find nourishment. But for those who oppose it, lie about it, or refuse to listen to it, the Word is like fire, and it consumes and devours them. And it's like a hammer that will break them into pieces and destroy them. See, we don't want to think of God that way. We often forget or we just outright dismiss the judgment side of God. We want our God to be warm and fuzzy and compassionate where there's no condemnation, there's no judgment, there's no punishment. We want our God to be a God of only grace and love and acceptance. And He is those things. He is, but He's also a God that's jealous. And he's a God full of wrath and judgment. And just like in Jeremiah's time, we have a similar false theology that invades the church. It's a theology that ignores the judgment side of God. A theology that picks and chooses what parts of God's word we're going to be obedient to and then dismisses or ignores those parts that expose our sin. It's a love wins out theology, just like in Jeremiah's day, that says God's not going to punish us. 
God will not punish sin. There is no hell. There is no coming destruction. There's nothing to fear. It's a theology that says no standard is right or wrong except the standard that you set for yourself. And it's a dangerous place to be. Because when we begin to decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, when we start to ignore God's Word and allow our culture to allow our society to determine morality, then we find ourselves in direct rebellion of God. And I believe that's where a lot of the church in America is today. And I believe that's where a lot of us are today. See, we've ignored God's Word so much and left it on a shelf to collect us, we don't even know what His Word says anymore. We don't know what it says. Just look at this list. These are the top five things that people think are in the Bible, but they're actually not. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. That's from Aesop's fables. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's a Babylonian proverb. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Mahatma Gandhi said that, not the Bible. This too shall pass is from an old English poem. God works in mysterious ways. It's not in the Bible. And it isn't that those sayings are necessarily bad. It's just when we abandon God's word, when we no longer make it a priority to read, study, and understand his word, then our culture and other voices fill in the gaps. And soon the truth is no longer truth anymore. It becomes objective truth. I mean, it becomes subjective truth. There is no longer objective truth. Objective truth means that truth is true for everybody. Subjective truth means that it's subject to the person who's declaring the truth. Or in other words, what I believe is good for me and what you believe is good for you, even if those two things oppose each other, it doesn't matter because it's subjective to me and subjective to you. See, Scripture, God's Word, it's the standard that we go by. It has to be. It has to be the standard we go by. If it's not the standard, what standard do we use to measure what's right and what's wrong? I want you to think about this for a minute because it's key and foundational to this whole series that we're talking about. If God is not the one who sets the standard, if God is not the one who sets the standard for what is right and wrong, then who does? Who has the right to set the standard for all of us? See, the problem is when we, be, when we begin to set the standard, then we start to say things like, living, living together before marriage is a smart thing to do. And we begin to believe that it's true because our culture accepts it as the norm. So it must be okay and right, but it goes completely against what God's Word says. Or we say things like, divorce is the best option for me right now. And God's given me peace about the decision I've made. When in truth, divorce is simply the easy option. And the Bible has very strict reasons for divorce that usually aren't our reasons. We just choose to give up on the marriage. Or we say things like, God doesn't need me to give. I don't need to give money. 
When in truth, the Bible's really clear about God owning it all. And his expectation is for us to give back the first fruits of what he's blessed us with. And he knows that our giving help us, helps us to, to depend on him for everything. But that's not what we want. We don't want to depend on God. We want control. We don't want to be told what to do. So we start to justify the sin in our lives. And before you know it, we're living in open rebellion, just like Isaiah condemned the people of Israel for doing. We pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to listen to, to the point that we've undermined the importance and validity of God's Word in our lives, and we're feeding ourselves straw. And we're dying. We're dying of hunger. And what these verses in Jeremiah are saying is that regardless of how we treat God's Word, regardless of whether or not we believe it's truth, God's Word will always win out. Even if it becomes despised and rejected by men, it cannot be deprived of its power and effectiveness in exposing and judging sin. Whether we want to believe it or not, there will be a judgment for all of mankind. All of mankind. And God's words will be like fire and like a hammer for all people. But how it affects us depends on what and who you put your trust in. Because there's a double meaning to the fire. Because God's word is a different kind of fire when you deal with those that are the faithful. God's word in the life of those who accept his word as truth becomes a fire that exposes sin in our life and consumes the lusts of the flesh. It shows us the things that we need to correct and change. It begins to purify our lives just as silver and gold are purified by fire. And so our lives are purified by God's word. It's not a devouring fire, but it's a refining fire. Malachi talks about how God is a refiner and he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. See, a refiner's fire refines, it purifies, it melts the bars of, and, of silver and gold, and it separates the impurity that ruin its value, and it burns them up, and it leaves the silver and gold intact. He's like a refiner's fire because he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And even though we're created in the image of God with the potential to revere God and trust Him and obey Him and glorify Him, we're still born with iniquity and sin. Within us, we all have the impurity of rebellion and unbelief. And we all fall short of God's glory again and again and again. But God's Word, God's Word begins the process of redeeming our soul. Remember what Brian said the first week? He said, we're made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. And when we come to Christ, our spirit is redeemed. And our soul is in the process of being redeemed. And our body will be redeemed when Christ returns. See, the refiner's fire, God's word is the process of redeeming our soul, our mind, our will and emotions. It's the fire of God's word that brings the refining fire but it's still a fire and therefore purity and holiness will always be a hard and often painful thing 
there will always be a proper fear and trembling in the process of becoming pure. Listen, following Jesus is not an easy thing to do. It's not. Jesus said, make sure you count the cost before you follow me. Because to follow him meant the path of the refiner's fire. It means dying to yourself. It means sacrifice. It means suffering. And those are things we don't like to hear, much less experience. But it's what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. But the end result, the end result is so worth it. It is so worth it. Yes, the fire looks scary, but there's tremendous hope there. Because our soul is being transformed and redeemed. God is using the fire of his word to prepare us for eternity. To transform us into beings of holiness and beauty. So we shouldn't shy away from his word. We shouldn't shy away from the fire of God's word as it exposes sin in our lives. Instead, we should embrace it. Because the furnace for the believer is always for refinement. Never for destruction. Always for refinement. But for those who reject God's word, then his word is a fire that destroys them because they will have rejected the grace that his word offers them through Christ. And judgment will come. It will come. God and his word will become a consuming fire. Hebrews 12 says this, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, the unbelieving Israelites who ignored God at Sinai didn't enter the earthly promised land. And likewise, today, if we ignore God when He speaks through His Word and through His Son from Mount Zion, then we will not enter the heavenly promised land. And whether God speaks from Sinai or Zion, no man who refuses Him will escape judgment. Because God is a consuming fire. See, God's Word is either a refining fire or it's a consuming fire. The gospel is either welcome news or it's an offending religion. His commandments are either life or their death. Paul said in Corinthians, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. See, there is no in-between we will either be refined by fire or we will be destroyed by it. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to close with this.
God's Word, listen to me, God's Word brings life and nourishment to a dying soul. It provides us light and direction to guide us in a world full of darkness. It is truth in a world full of lies. And it has the power to shape us and mold us and transform us. It's a fire that will refine us or destroy us. Is God's Word central in your life? Does your life, does your whole life revolve around it? Is it something that takes priority in your schedule, in the decisions that you make, in the way that you live your life? See, I stand here today with a very heavy, heavy heart. Because as I look around at the world, I see people stumbling around in the darkness. And the problem is, is we don't know that we're walking in the dark, bumping into the world around us. We continue to move forward, never realizing that we are indeed walking the wrong way. Because we've chosen, we've chosen to put out the fire of God's word that was guiding our path. We've been deceived into thinking that our own power and our own strength was bright enough to guide us where we needed to go. And Satan is reveling in this dark time. He's all around us, pushing us this way and that way, bumping us into a direction of self-sufficiency and self-fulfilling desires. And his thoughts of anger, malice, lust, and selfishness are invading every area of our lives. They push against us, threatening to take over our very soul. How can we continue on without being completely overtaken. See, I believe we're standing at the edge of a cliff. I believe this church, TBA, I believe this church is standing at the edge of a cliff. And a couple more steps in the dark and we're going to fall over, plummeting down to Satan's awaiting arms, to a time and a place where there will be no fire left to guide us, and to warm us. There will only be the empty promises of greed, power, wealth, physical beauty, and the like. No fire of kindness, patience, humility, and self-sacrifice will be found. Listen, we have to open our eyes. We have to wake up, church. We have to wake up and realize without God's Word, without His fire, there is no hope. There is no hope, listen to me, there is no hope without God's fire in us. We will not be the people He's called us to be. TBA Church will not become the church that He's called us to be if we are not in God's Word. We have the power to fight back. We have a hammer to break the lies of Satan. We have a sword to cut between flesh and soul. We have a fire to light our way to heaven. We simply have to choose to ignite the flames by reading His Word. So may you find God's words sweet to your ears. And may His Word feed you and nourish your soul. And may it be a light that guides and directs you. And may His Word be a cleansing fire that burns within you and transforms you to reflect His glory. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for, for the fact that you love us so much that you that you're willing to put us through the refining fire, God, if we allow ourselves to. God, thank you for your word that has such power. God, your word that is life-changing. God, your word that feeds our very soul. Your word that gives us direction and purpose and meaning in life. God, help us not to forsake that. Help us not to ignore that. God, help it to, help it to be the center of all we are and all we do, Lord. God, we need you desperately. We need your spirit poured out on this place. God, help us to be a people that desires to be deep in your word, that desires to be all that you've called us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.